we're just going to kick into a new little bit of a conversation space that's flowed out of the teaching that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks on what it means to be the people of Jesus living under the Holy Spirit, the koinonia, the fellowship of believers. And as we've been unpacking that, there's been all this amazing truth about how the power of the kingdom manifests through these people who uh, choose to live a different story. They choose to live a story where it's centered around the lordship of Jesus and they try and figure out their life with each other and for each other and for the kingdom uh, as they're learning to walk this out because they've come from all these different places and spaces, different tribes and nations, and all of a sudden God pours out his spirit and says, I am through this group of people that I'm gathering around Jesus going to bring a message of hope to the world. And through that community of Jesus' people, they choose to give themselves to the king and to each other and to the work of the kingdom, that out of that, God's plan to see all things restored to him somehow takes place as these Jesus people follow him and live this life together. It's been really great to unpack that, um, particularly in a season and a time where... um, There is so much working against, both in the spirit and in in reality and practice, there's so much working against the whole idea of being together. (laughs) It's just our whole daily practical living, comings and goings, is all about this, this season of maintained appropriate distance. And yet the very core activity of Jesus' people under the spirit is come together <laughs> and yet we're living at a time where everything's saying stay apart isn't it it's and you know one of the things that wherever nicole and i are going right now and the people we're talking to every day every sector of life be they you know working in hospitals universities workplaces schools mechanics what priests pastors were people we're talking to all over the place here's what's spilling out of people in most conversations after you ask the question How's it going? I'm over it. I am over it. Everywhere we go, I'm over it. I'm done. When is it going to just like be done? When can we just get back to like normal, whatever normal was? It's interesting. We want to go back to the very thing we often like, I hate my life. I want to get out of this. But anyway, somehow that seemed better than what we're living in now, you know. Um, And so exhaustion, there's such fatigue right now in culture and people's lives and just relational spaces fatigue it's spilling out of people everywhere and it's it's spilling out in in ways that perhaps we we don't realize at first but one of the things that we want to kind of lean into over this next little while is is how do we journey in a culture of fatigue and exhaustion with the sustaining grace of jesus How do we live in that place? How do we live that out? And what does that look like? What are some of the things that we're contending with both in us and around us that are actually pushing against this whole idea of gracious, generous, connectivity, community, life of the kingdom? So we're going to unpack that for a little while. That's a great quote there up there, isn't it, from John Ortberg. The soul was never meant to run on empty. It's interesting, though, but unlike a motor vehicle, we human beings don't have a dashboard. (laughs) 
that we can look at and go, oh yeah, I'm empty. I need to go and get some fill, you know, fill that up. We don't have an obvious dashboard, but we're going to unpack a little bit of what a dashboard might actually look like. Um, and you might see some of this stuff in your own life. And then we're going to talk about how Jesus has this wonderful invitation and appeal to a different way of living life. But for some of us in the room right now, we've really felt the pinch of some of our social freedoms and our social choices to be able to make free decisions been curbed. And that's been a bit of a pinch for some of us in the room right now. We feel like we've been contained or constrained. And even just the whole idea of human touch right now is, is, is now, we're now living in a time where that is seen with suspicion. Uh, and because we, we're, we're dealing with this unseeable virus that we don't know where it is and who's got it. And so we, we've put this mechanism in place with our lives called social distancing where we've lost the power and the importance of touch. For some people, that is their highest language of love. And it's, it's like the, the tap's been turned off for them. And, and, and they're feeling the fatigue of not being able to touch. Can I shake someone's hand? Can we hug someone in public? Um, you know, can we be near people in, in, in community? That's been restrained for some. And it's been hard. Some people have just, you know, it's been terrible. It's been sensationalised a bit, obviously, through media and the television. But um, families who haven't been able to be at funerals of loved ones and say goodbye to them and celebrate their life. That's just been tragic. Tragic. Not being able to be there and say farewells. Um, the amount of social health disorders that are on the uptick right now, right, ever, right across our culture, is just, it's like ramped up. The phone calls to all of our helplines are like 300% over the av this time last year. I mean, it's just like going off. And it's, and it's happening in a street near you. It's it might even be happening in um, a house near you. It might even be happening in your own home. You know, not so long ago, Sarah woke us up a couple, on, a, on a whatever morning of the week it was, Saturday morning or something, and the family next door, the couple next door, they were, they were like domestic violence, verbal stuff that we, was off the charts, acceptable or safe. And so we had to get on the phone. I mean, I, I was fast asleep until Sarah came in and said, Dad, Mum, you need to come and there's something going on next door, you know, and there's all this stuff going on. So we had to ring the police and bring them in and they, you know, interviewed us afterwards. And, and then afterwards I had to stump up at the fence to the bloke next door and just say to him, hey, listen, mate, no shame here. I just want you to know that if you want to just talk, I'm around, you know, no shame. And, um, and just trying to reach out and uh, they actually moved house a couple of weeks later and um, anyway I don't know where they are now but there's just this amplification of 
all of this stuff that's going on right now in our world. And actually, this, basically the collective kind of um, mindset and psychology of our towns and our cities and our communities now is one of lack of trust. That is just like going up and up and up. Lack of trust, lack of trust, which means further distancing, which means further measures of being sure that um, you're a safe person. It's, it's, it's a really challenging time to do life. And then in the midst of this, Jesus is pouring out his spirit on his people. God has opened the heavens and everything that's been separated from him has actually now been reconciled to him. And we who've experienced that reconciling love are now being called to live in this space of all of that challenge that I've just put out there as these people that are living another story, a story of hope, a story of sustaining grace in a world that's fatigued and exhausted by its own wisdom. There's an amazing invitation on us as Jesus' people right now in this hour to live a different life in such a way that the fatigue of the world might discover what we ourselves have found in Jesus. Our educators are tired, our police, our politicians are tired, the people in front of you, in the line at Woolworths and Coles, they're tired. It's just parents contending with the realities of a social media world that has got 24-hour-a-day influence over the thinking and the worldview of your children and young people around us, and even your own self. You might have a massive appetite for the thing, that thing. But it's got, like, generational implication. And now, you know, our nation's not just Australia, but other nations, now living underneath the weighty economic pressures of the circumstance in which we now find us is going to have generational impact. Sounds like I'm on a bit of a downer, right? Huh? <laughs> it's like, I'm actually just like holding up the mirror. I'm just holding up the mirror. Fatigue is peaking People are hungry to just get out of that story and, and want to live in something else. And I think that we as Jesus' people in this hour have something to bring to that fatigue. A story of sustaining grace. Have you got your Bibles? I want you to open them up to Matthew chapter 11. And in Matthew chapter 11, this is like, a, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a little bit of a, um, a snapshot of, of what Jesus was saying when some of his disciples had just been on these little missions all over the region, sort of taking the gospel of the kingdom and doing the works of the kingdom out and about. And then they've come back and then Jesus has this little moment of like, you, they got it. And yet at the same time, it's, it's weird the way Matthew's gospels kind of got it because it's not, it's actually not, in the context of that story, it's, it's in the context of a, another encounter that Jesus is having with, his, with, the, with cities and towns and the, the cultures of those regions. And, and, and Jesus is basically saying a little bit before this, he's just saying, hey, listen, 
I'm just going to let you know, all you towns and regions and cities, I've been zipping around in you, doing signs, wonders, and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now teams have been out doing the stuff of Jesus all over the place. And I'm just letting you know that in your refusing and your hardness of heart and attitude to welcome this good news, I'm just saying, woe to you. He's not cursing them. He's just pointing out the obvious. He's saying, you want more of that? You want more of what, what's got you to where you are? If you want more of that, keep going. Otherwise, turn your heart to God and the message of his kingdom. Turn your heart and receive the good news. Come out from underneath the story that you all hate and never, you know, this is not just to individuals he's speaking. He's speaking to towns, cities and regions, which is made up of loads of individuals. That is this collective little like, I'm letting you know, look out, because if you want more of that, you can have it, but it will not end well for you. But repent and receive the kingdom of God. Turn to God. And so some people are doing that. Not everyone. Isn't that interesting? Not everyone even liked Jesus or his message or his ministry, even right in front of them. Matthew eleven twenty five. At this time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden All of these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. He's being a little bit cryptic there, isn't he? It's like he wants to engage you a little bit in that that statement. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus puts out a big invitation in this moment. I think we live... In a country, or I think we live in a world, a country, I think we live in a state, I think we live in streets that are really worn out and fatigued. And there's an amazing gospel invitation from Jesus into that. And we're going to unpack that over this next little while. I'm just kind of setting up the framework this morning for us. But over the next little while, we're going to journey into what this invitation of Jesus really is. And what it looks like. And we're going to cover a few things. And the first thing is this. Jesus says, we're invited to come to him. Come to Jesus. You know that, you you hear that that comment all the time, don't you? When when people try to explain how someone's life has gone from this to that. And they go, oh, they had a come to Jesus moment. Well, yes, this, this is what God is inviting every human being to. A come-to-Jesus moment. If you are tired, worn out from the cultural atmosphere and pressures and wisdom of everything that the world is you know, proposing is really awesome and worth living for, if that's burnt you out, 
come to Jesus. Don't come to the things of Jesus. Don't come to the benefits of Jesus. Don't come to the future promises. Come to the person of Jesus. Come to the person of Jesus, the very Son of God, the living Christ. Come to him. We're going to have a bit of a look at what it means to come to Jesus and what that means for living a, a life of sustaining grace, a life of personal hope and transformation in relationship with the living Christ. The living Christ. Jesus is alive. He is alive. This is the good news of our hope. He's alive. He's not disempowered. He's not fractured. He's not broken. He is resurrected, ruling and reigning. And how now holds the keys to all life and death. He is the supreme authority. He is the Lord. This is what we believe when we say Jesus is Lord. We're invited to come to him. We're also going to unpack this idea of what it means to live with an easy yoke. You see, Jesus, we're made for an easy yoke. Now, we hear that and we go, oh, good. And we confuse that with the idea of an easy life. We think, oh, easy yoke? Ah, Great, easy life. Put me on the bow of the, you know, SS Easy Life and let's just cruise the islands. Although boat cruises aren't real good right now. But it's like we confuse easy yoke with easy life because we're reading into it what's actually not there in what Jesus is saying. That word easy, it's a really, really awesome word actually. And uh, it's, it's almost like a, a fashion term like a, a term, a fashion term, where when you see someone, some, or, or you may yourself have gone to the shop and you've bought yourself an article of clothing and you've tried it on and you've looked in the mirror or the shop assistant has kind of stood there and said, that looks really good on you. And you say that to yourself, this looks good on me. This, looks, this fits me. Yeah, I'm made for this. This is made for me. Easy. And then sometimes when you see someone that's dressed and they've got this really awesome outfit on, like the other weekend when we're at this wedding and all these people are kind of dressed up and it's like they make those clothes look really good when they're in them, you know. They look re- that looks easy on the eye. Easy. Jesus is saying, I have an easy yoke. I have this, this, this experience of relationship with you that is not ill-fitting, but fits you perfectly, just like that bit of clothing that you go, mm, I like that one. If that fits, that's me. This is what Jesus is getting at. It's an easy yoke. But let's not confuse that with personal happiness. But let's understand that in the context of what Jesus is saying. He's saying there is a reconciling, joyful love of God reality for this world and for the creation. And he's saying, let the ease of that come over you and reshape your whole life. 
All right, we're also going to unpack. We're also going to unpack. Um, Jesus is calling us to learn to do life the Jesus way, His way. My life made easier versus living in the fullness of a daily adventure with King Jesus. We're going to unpack that. We're going to explore that a little bit. We're going to we're going to see whether or not the life that we've been living is bearing the fruit of Jesus or exhaustion. And we're going to ask ourselves, how do I journey from the exhaustion back to doing daily living with Jesus, the adventure of King Jesus? And the last one we're going to push into is this whole idea of rest. Rest. Because he says, if you come to me, I've got an easy yoke for you, uh, and you will find rest for your soul, for your mind, for your heart, and for your whole physical being. I've got rest for you. Now, don't hear that as an invitation to lack of activity. That's not what Jesus is saying. (laughs) That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying. The other thing he's not saying is life balance. You just need to have a balanced life. Jesus is not saying that. There's this whole other conversation that we've taken and aspired from the world out of our exhaustion and our frustration and we've laid it over the invitation of Jesus in the hope that Jesus will somehow give me a balanced life. I won't be overspent and I won't be uh, overinvested. I'll just live this balanced kind of life. That's not what Jesus is inviting us to. He's inviting us to learning to live from grace over living from the drivenness of our exhaustion and trying to make sure I have a balanced life. We just we spend so much time and energy on trying to be balanced. It's not about balance. The last time I read the Gospels was when Jesus came to, the, to people. He said, here is the invite. Give me all of your life. All of your life, all of your dreams, your hopes, give it all to me and in exchange I will give you my life. That's not a balanced request. That's an all-in invitation. Jesus is not very balanced, but he's fully inviting. So we're going to sort of like... Let the things that we've kind of, we hold in here, and we're going to ask Jesus to help us put them on the table for a bit of a look and a poke where we've kind of gone, those things, I I want to live a balanced life. And Jesus is like, just let's put it on the table and let's see if Jesus may want to fill us with who he is and his life and set us free to living in grace rather from the drivenness of the fatigue and the cycles of exhaustion that have got us this far. Hey, let's just have a quick snapshot of this. Jesus, when you look at Jesus, like he's, he's the most 
excellent picture of a human being living under the Holy Spirit in relationship with God. He is the picture. Now, as I say this stuff, this is not principled obligation. Please do not hear this. This is Jesus living as a human being, coming out of the waters of his baptism, hearing the Father's voice of affirmation over his life saying, you are my son, I am so pleased with you. And out of the power of that relationship, as the Holy Spirit empowers that moment of his identity, he goes on and lives his life in the power of the Spirit. This, this is what Jesus is like. And so it's out of his relationship with the Father in the power of the Spirit. It's not principles. It's not laws. It's not obligations. It's not even spiritual disciplines. This is just the outworking overflow of the power of the intimacy that he shares with the Father and the Spirit that you and I are invited to live as just as much. Just as much. Here's a few things that Jesus was about. So let's, let's um, can we pop up the, uh, the list of sustaining grace, Jesus' sustaining grace. Keep it going, keep it going. There we are. Hint, pay attention, that word, hint. These are not obligations. All right, the last thing we want to do is bury ourselves in more lawful expectation. We want to just dive deep into grace and let, it come, let us come alive to God. And the overflow of some of that is some of these things. Some of these things. So Jesus, he was, um, in living this sustaining life of grace, he had this life of prayer, prayer where he would go to um, so places of solitude and quiet by himself and he would pray and he'd spend time with the Father and then he'd go and hang out at synagogue and, and he'd pray with the people of God. It was this private and gathered reality. And then he'd have all these small group sessions and individuals of prayer sessions in between all the time. He was a good Jew. He grew up going to synagogue. He grew up, he was, it was like, where's Jesus? We can't find him. Oh, he's at, he's at synagogue. He's in his father's house. Oh, of course, of course, of course. That's where we would find him as a boy, you know. Uh, prayer, we're going to touch on this. He had some friendships. He gave himself to, you know, it's, it's really interesting that in the Gospels it's quite clear that he gave himself to a few more generously than the masses. Like he, he was, his life was spent with the masses, but there was just a few that, he shared an intimacy with that was a little more unique than he did with the masses. He had this friends, these, these people that played a special role in his life. So we're just going to touch into that zone. Uh, regular worship, I think I've just touched on that. He, he lived this rhythm of both um, of, of worship at synagogue, worship in the home, uh, and worship uh, then um, with his uh, disciples. Regular worship, community life was very important for him. Uh, his thought life was filled with the scriptures, the Torah. His, he grew up on a good diet of Torah, you know. It was like his, it informed his every action and his thought and thinking. He grew up in the scriptures, just like we're invited to grow up in mature in the scriptures so that, you know, when Jesus is confronted with it, be it a religious leader or a political leader or even... Um, like the leader of a nation uh, or an empire, uh, 
Pilate or, or he would meet with the poor or he was even confronted with the powers of the Satan himself in the desert. Jesus was able to appeal to the very thing that just filled his life and the role that this played, the scriptures played in him, in his comings and goings every day. Uh, the, he enjoyed God's creation and he took long walks, long walks, long walks. Okay, let me just do a quick little test here. Who thinks zero kilometres to three kilometres is just by way of hand, you would go long walk? Long walks, okay, hands. Okay, we've got a few, two or three. Okay, let's just punch it out a bit further. Uh, let's say five kilometres. Five kilometres, long walk, anyone? Okay, a few more people. Okay, yeah. Uh, any more than further than five? Maybe ten. Maybe ten. Okay, Wayne's like ten. Yep, yep. Up the back there, yep. Okay, so ten. Now we're talking, that's a long walk. Well, I just went online and I just punched in with a bunch of, you know, questions about these guys that looked at the three years of Jesus' ministry. In the three years uh, from his baptism to his uh, crucifixion and resurrection of his walking. And so they measured it out and did all of that. Let's, here's, you know, even though your Apple Watch might tell you 10,000 steps is a good day, that's not a long walk. You know what? Jesus walked on average 32 kilometres every day. 32 <laughs> kilometres. Oh, my goodness. That, I mean, I'm glad I live in the era of cars. But... For Jesus, 32 kilometres a day, you know, just between villages and homes and towns and moving about, on average, 32k a day. He took long walks. I think there's some benefit in long walks. I was just talking with Sharon and Jacob over here about how these guys just walked up Mount Nagungun the other day together. And that was a long hike. It was a long walk. But they were just talking to me about what they saw when they got there, the things that God was telling them from the mountaintops and perspectives on life. And they took a long walk in God's creation. Long walks are good. You guys are very unique. You've got a good thing going on there with long walks in creation in your family. That's a gift. How, how, have you gone for a walk lately? I mean, I'm, this stuff is important. To note, it's in play to seeing a sustaining life of grace. The other one is this. He welcomed children, he held them, and he blessed them. Children are a very important part of the ways of God being shaped into us and through us and to us as well from children. You know, Jesus got a bit indignant one day when the disciples said, Hey, get the kids out! And Jesus got indignant, the scriptures tell us, about that attitude. And he said, no, you let them come to me because the kingdom belongs to them just as much as anybody else. And he held them and he blessed them. There's something about the role of children in our life that God sets up for us to be able to receive sustaining grace. We're going to unpack that one because I know the journey as being a dad. Man, I'm so often operating out of exhaustion in relationship to my children rather than grace, rather than Jesus' ways. 
It's, it's, it's an interesting one. You know, um, last Saturday, Nicole and I and, we, and, and Caitlin, we were over at this family function over at um, Scarborough on Nicole's side of the family. There was this big announcement that went on and it was super awesome to be there and as a part of that. But Nicole's dad, if you don't know her dad, he's 83 and he's, he's, he's suffering from Parkinson's and it's very developed now and he, and he basically can't walk anymore and he needs help with just the basics of daily living. And, and um, Nicole's mum, she's, she's getting tired now caring for him and, and so we're all just trying to navigate this journey together. And he's tired, but when his first grandson turned up at that little park party, who's six months old, Bill came alive. He was like, bring him over here, bring him over here. And so they sat him on Bill's knee. And Bill was like bouncing him and bouncing him around. And, and Bill came alive as he just held his little grandson. And then before you know it, Bill's just in his very Aussie, unconscious way, speaking blessing over this little boy. Oh, you're such an amazing little boy. You're so great. You know, he's just speaking life over this little kid. Children children play a very important role in bringing the kingdom to us. Nicole and I were talking to a gentleman. He's from Sri Lanka. Their family is originally from Sri Lanka. They're based in Melbourne. We were talking to them this very week about this very issue. And he he said, you know... um, I'll never forget the day that my, I don't know how many grandchildren he's got, one of them, he held them just after they were born and he held this little boy up to his chest and he said, as, as I did that, he said it was like I could feel the love of God not coming to me, to the child, but through the beauty of this little brand new human being to him. And, he's, and as he's telling us this, he just starts crying. He said, I received the love of God through my grandson and it ministered to me. It's just, I think we need to look at, look at that. The role of the kids in our life, personally, gathered. It's been really frustrating in this season, not being able to have the kids run around in here with us. Because the whole COVID thing, we've had to you know, minimise movement. But that's what kids do, don't they? They move. Bless them, Lord, and bless everyone that serves your heart for the children in this place. More, Lord. And lastly, Jesus enjoyed good parties with non-religious types. So much so that the gospel, those people around him, that the gospel writers heard making commentary on the chat line about this Jesus bloke, He's a friend of sinners. He drinks with prostitutes and tax collectors. He eats and has dinner with those kinds of people. He seemed to uh, enjoy that space. Where are the authentic people in our life that we're spending time with that are non-religious, very non-religious? There's some of the things we're going to talk about. Now, we're about to pray, and as, as we pray this morning, you know how I started with the idea of the dashboard in the car? You can tell when the light is like, beep, 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 it's, we're empty, we need help. Well, the human being needs a little bit more help. So these are some of the, th- the signs of what the dashboard might look like in your life and mine. Okay, have you, in this season, I don't know about you guys, but 
irritability of the little things somehow seems to have like reared its head in my life. <laughs> it's like, I said it in first service. It's like, Luke, eat with your mouth closed, please. I can hear you. <laughs> Up until pre-COVID, I didn't hear it. But now I'm hearing it. It's like ir- ir- just irritability about the little things. It's like the lack, it's a sign of a lack of grace. It's a sign of a lack of just generosity to be with people. You irritate me. <laughs> How's the irritation levels? Is that, is that kind of showing up on the dashboard? How's the ability to risk? How's your courage in this season where God has said, you know, because li- God has invited you to make a decision for him and with him that has required risk or courage or trust in a time where we've been living under this intensification of the minimization of risk through social distancing. I mean, some of you guys and girls, you've got your own small businesses and um, you live in work, work in, work in workplaces and have all sorts of other organisational lives where you you might be working in the back end of HR, human resourcing and workplace health and safety. Oh my goodness. That that arena of minimising risk is so huge right now in just being able for human beings to be able to gather and even just like how to answer a telephone in an ergonomically safe way so that you don't develop an elbow condition. You know, it's like... This is just what we're living under all the time and it's relentless but it's in the context of that that what it does is it rubs and it dials you down and it causes you to be less courageous with your yes to Jesus because you want to minimise the risk when Jesus says, hey, we're all in here, remember that. All of you for all of me struggling to make up your mind about small decisions, maybe impulsive choices in this season of intensification is, you know, I'll go for a second round of that. I might drink a few more of them. Or I've got got all this extra stimulus money. I could buy some more of that stuff that's not good for me. I mean, where's the the (laughs) impulse? Where are the impulse things that we're going for in the hope that it'll make us feel like I'm not exhausted anymore. But in fact, they just compound it. Poor judgment, choosing the short-term gain at the long-term cost, taking the easy over the right. How's the dashboard? These are some of the things that Nicole and I are talking about and working through. How's the dashboard? 